Tammy Grogan's 2006 dream cruise turned into a nightmare when the single mother never returned. She was given a free, all-inclusive cruise along with her mother, sister, and son, then unexpectedly runs into relatives of the person who gave her the cruise. They spent a couple days in paradise, laughing and living it up, before Tammy vanished. This unsolved case dives into whether she fell, jumped, or was pushed. Hello, and welcome to Twisted Travel and True Crime. I'm your host, Sandy. Cruise ships are always fascinating to me for several reasons. First is, the number of people who could be involved is fixed. If foul play is involved, it has to be someone on the ship, right? Second, the rules are different on cruise ships. Maritime laws allow for certain differences just because the vessel is at sea. For example, if they're 13 miles offshore, the only rules they have to follow are the rules of the country they're registered to. And even those rules aren't always fixed because of maritime law. Oftentimes, the responsibility of an investigation is passed from country to country or government agency to government agency, and the victim doesn't get the attention he or she deserves. Let's begin with the victim. Her name is Tammy Grogan. In 2006, when she disappeared, she was 35 years old and a single mother. She was one of four children who grew up in West Toledo, Ohio. She had a beautiful round face, dirty blonde hair, and in most pictures, a beaming smile that lights up her face. She, like many single moms, worked hard every day and sacrificed her own desires to provide for her 14-year-old son, Jimmy. But she struggled financially. She filed for bankruptcy in the 90s, but by 2006, she was managing well. This was even after one of her homes had caught fire. She made ends meet by working at a dental office and raising Jimmy in a small apartment on West Lasky Road. If she wasn't there, she'd be found at her parents' home on nearby Sherbrooke Road. Her life hadn't been easy, but she was getting by. Jimmy was a typical teenager. If he's anything like mine, he likely had energy for anything other than cleaning. Jimmy was thriving as a freshman at Whitmer High School. According to his grandfather and namesake, James Fleischman Sr., he did great in school and was a history nut. Jimmy was surrounded by people who cared for him, and he was a happy, adventurous kid, one who wanted to grow up to be a fireman or serve in the military. He was a good-looking boy who resembled his mother and wore his hair in the Harry Potter style. Jimmy seems to be physically affectionate with his arms wrapped around someone in nearly every photo I saw of him. In my research, his father was never mentioned, but his grandparents on both sides were part of Jimmy's life. If for some reason they weren't available... Tammy often turned to her brothers and sisters and their spouses. Jimmy particularly liked his Uncle Tony, and from a young age he'd follow his uncle around like a shadow. He'd help with little projects and likely enjoyed some guy time. That being said, Jimmy deeply loved his mother and spent the majority of his time with her. They had a very close-knit, tight relationship, especially when he was younger. But that seemed to change when Tammy brought a new man into her life. His name was Craig Morgan. Tammy met Craig Morgan through her aunt, Deborah Gaff. For many years, Aunt Deb hadn't been involved in Tammy's life, but that's because she lived far away. When she returned home to Ohio, the two women began hanging out, and they quickly made up for lost time. They had a mutual love of going to garage sales and really enjoyed each other's company. As they spent more and more time together, Tammy noticed that Deb was always on the phone talking and joking with someone. That someone was Craig Morgan, a 25-year-old man who Deb used to be a nanny for. 
Deb used to nanny for Craig's sister, Rebecca, as well. Craig and Deb regularly kept in touch, and Tammy suggested that Deb bring him over so she could meet him, and that suggestion would change the family's lives forever. When Craig and Tammy finally met, they got along great, but 25-year-old Craig hit it off even more with Tammy's son, Jimmy. It was obvious from the get-go that Craig liked Jimmy. Let's talk ages really quickly. Tammy is in her mid-30s, Craig, mid-20s, and Jimmy, mid-teens. Aunt Deb, I'm not 100% sure on, but based on pictures, I'd say late 40s, early 50s. So it's quite an age-diverse crowd. But there were other differences, including the fact that Craig came from money. His father was a wealthy lawyer in Toledo who was married to a judge, and his stepfather started a successful software company in the San Antonio area. That being said, when Craig was asked where his money came from, he told Tammy and Deb that he worked for several companies, but he wasn't willing or able to share the company names. It was hush-hush, or maybe a better term would be hush-flush, meaning whatever he was telling them was bullshit. No matter where he got the money, he spent it freely on gifts. Shopping sprees for Deb and Tammy. He started an expensive watch collection for Jimmy. One source reported numbers as high as 23 watches in that collection. Craig even picked the family up in a limo once. This kind of treatment was new and exciting for Tammy and Jimmy. They didn't have much money and really enjoyed feeling spoiled for once. They saw Craig as a kind benefactor, but others sensed that something was off. I know that some of you are thinking that this might be grooming, and you might be right. Craig was an adult who obviously displayed favoritism towards Jimmy. He took the opportunity to buy Jimmy expensive gifts, and he catered to Jimmy's interests. He also catered to Tammy and her aunt, spending time with all of them. It wasn't long before Craig was spending most of his days with Tammy, Deb, and Jimmy. He may have been laying groundwork in order to get Jimmy alone. Tammy's father thought Craig was strange and became frustrated with the friendship between the man and his grandson. One day he walked in and Jimmy was wrapped around Craig in an affectionate hug. In some sources it was described as nuzzling. Either way, it was a trigger for Jimmy's grandfather. Triggering enough that Tammy decided she would end the relationship between the two men. She called police to her home on May 23, 2006. There was no official report written, but according to detectives, Tammy told Craig that the family was tired of the touchy-feely relationship that he and Jimmy had, and that he was no longer welcome around the family. Craig told police at the time that there had been absolutely no inappropriate conduct between himself and Jimmy. Despite this confrontation, somehow Craig stayed in the picture. He was friendly with the family, and a few months later, he told Deb that he wanted to send her, Tammy, Jimmy, and Tammy's mother, Bonnie, on a four-day cruise to celebrate the fact that Deb had lost more than a 100 pounds. Now, 100 pounds is a lot of weight to lose. It takes hard work, determination, commitment, and time to achieve it, and it should be celebrated. But having a wealthy benefactor send you on a cruise, especially one that he wasn't going on himself, is kind of strange. It's even more strange that this offer came after Tammy had called the police in an attempt to separate Jimmy and Craig only a few months earlier. The cruise was supposed to take place in September, 
and Craig would pay for everything. Strangely, Tammy didn't say no to the cruise. Her sister believed that because things hadn't come easily for Tammy, she'd wanted to take advantage of the opportunity. It would be something that she may never have the opportunity to do in the future, she'd never be able to afford it, and it was an experience that Jimmy would have been very excited about. Tammy did voice some reservations about the trip, but in the end, it was an offer she couldn't refuse. Besides, she'd be with people she loved and felt safe with. She said yes to the trip and unknowingly sealed her fate. The cruise would depart from Miami, then move on down to Mexico and back, and the whole trip would last only four days. On September 10, 2006, Tammy, her mom Bonnie, her Aunt Deb and Jimmy walked up the gangplank, or the ramp, up onto the gigantic carnival cruise ship called the Imagination. The Imagination was a fantasy-class cruise ship It was operated by Carnival Cruise Lines from 1995 to 2020. It was nearly 900 feet long and had a total capacity of 2,600 passengers and nearly 1,000 crew members. It had 14 decks, including an adults-only sun deck, a kids' club, a sauna, steam room, a fitness center, and, of course, all the food and drinks you could ever want. Probably not the best place to go if you're on a weight loss journey, but I digress. Oddly, one of the first things that happened on the cruise was that Aunt Deb, the whole reason for the cruise, the one who was reaping her reward for her hard work, immediately offered her luxurious stateroom to Tammy and Jimmy. It had a large living room space and a balcony that overlooked the water. Aunt Deb said that she and her sister Bonnie, Tammy's mother, would take the less luxurious inside cabin instead. The second strange thing was that soon after boarding, Jimmy began exploring the ship. There was a lot to see, but after a very short time, he returned with the news that Craig's sister Rebecca and her ex-boyfriend Robbie were on the ship too. This was news to Tammy. Craig had never mentioned anything about his sister going on the cruise. It rubbed Tammy the wrong way, and she mentioned it to her mom, She said she'd had a bad feeling about going on this cruise, and she just thought it was really strange that Rebecca and Robbie were there, too. Despite any apprehension that Tammy had, she didn't let it get to her. She had more than a hundred pictures on her camera that showed the group hanging out together for the entirety of the trip. In these pictures, they were all smiling and tanned. And when I say all, I'm including all of Tammy's family and Craig's sister and her ex-boyfriend. They're laughing, they have their arms wrapped around each other in nearly every picture. There's a picture of Jimmy wearing what I call a wife-beater tank top. It's really just a gray undershirt, but he's standing with his back up against the balcony railing. The ocean is flat and sparkles in the sun, stretching out behind him. In the next shot, one of the last photos ever taken, Tammy's in the exact same spot with her back to the sea and her hair being blown by the ocean breeze. The railing comes up to somewhere between belly button and chest height on both of them. The food, the fun, and partying began right away. Like many cruises, alcohol played heavily in the celebratory atmosphere aboard the Imagination. Even Jimmy was allowed to drink. According to one of my resources, Craig's sister Rebecca told Jimmy that she'd buy all his drinks for him on the trip. They ate, drank, and were merry night after night. On Sunday, 
which is believed to be the final night the group was together, there were several photos taken, which indicated a drunken atmosphere. In one, Jimmy has his arm around his aunt, and next to her, Robbie has his arms wrapped around Rebecca. They're sitting on an L-shaped couch, with Grandma Bonnie sitting on the other side of Jimmy. They're all smiling and goofing off. In another, Tammy is taking a shot off Rebecca's belly. Rebecca is taking shots from someone else's cleavage. In other photos, there's some groping going on between different parties. One photo shows Jimmy with his finger reaching into his Aunt Deb's shirt. Another picture shows one of the women grabbing one of the men's rear ends. It was definitely a wild night. Most of these photos appear to be taken inside one of the cabins. Grandma Bonnie, Tammy's mother, was on her medication. It was a medication that prevented her from drinking, and so she appears a bit more reserved in the photos. At one point, as the night wore on, Bonnie said she wasn't feeling well. Jimmy went into the bathroom while Robbie filled Bonnie's glass with water. She said that after she drank it, that was the last thing she remembered. She later told investigators that normally she woke up at 6 a.m. It was a routine that she was familiar with and she never slept in. But that day, she didn't wake up until almost noon. When she finally woke up, she realized that she was in her own room now, not the larger room with the balcony. She had no memory of how she got there. When she looked for Tammy, her daughter was gone. She began asking around, and she was told that Tammy was drunk the night before. Tammy told Deb, Jimmy, Rebecca, and Robbie that she was going to go and find herself a man. So they believed that she was out shacking up with someone else on the ship. So they waited and waited and waited, but Tammy never showed up. Carnival Cruise Line says that on September 11, 2006, a guest approached the information desk on board the cruise ship Imagination to report a family member missing. The story was that they all thought Tammy was enjoying herself on the ship somewhere, and they only became concerned when she didn't show up for a meeting. Then, when the ship docked and they still hadn't seen her, they notified the ship she was missing. She was last seen by the family aboard the Imagination around 1.30 a.m. on Sunday, September 10th. She wasn't reported missing until Monday morning, 32 hours after she went missing. Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Tammy's cabin on the ship was searched, and some passengers were interviewed regarding her disappearance, according to an FBI spokesman in Miami. The Coast Guard was alerted about the man overboard report at 9.30 a.m. on Monday morning, when the imagination tied up. Tammy had disappeared somewhere in the Gulf of Mexico. The Coast Guard said that on Monday, there were no planes or search vessels launched to search for her because it had been nearly 36 hours since anyone had last seen her. They did, however, notify the Mexican Rescue Coordination Center, and they sent a radio message to mariners in the area where Imagination had sailed that Sunday. The message asked fishing, cargo, and other vessels to call the Coast Guard to see if they'd seen anything unusual. This area is about 400 miles from Miami, and no reports came in. All proper authorities were notified, and a full investigation was underway, but a lot of time had passed. According to the cruise line, staff repeatedly paged Tammy's name over the intercom, but she never came forward. They searched the boat to no avail. Everyone who came and went from the boat once it docked in Miami was accounted for, except for Tammy. She was gone. Investigators quickly ruled out suicide. She had no history of depression, and according to everyone, she was happy and in a good mood for the entirety of the trip. The FBI was the initial investigating agency after the Carnival Cruise Lines. They suspected foul play and requested that everyone who had been in the cabin with Tammy that night take a lie detector test. Aunt Deb refused to take one, and the results of the others were inconclusive. Maybe Debbie knew the lie detector's tests weren't reliable and couldn't be used in court anyway, but her refusal was noted by investigators. My main source for this is an article by Brian Duggar, who works for WTOL Channel 11 of Toledo. He wrote an article... And in it, he said that Jimmy told investigators that he slept in Rebecca and Robbie's cabin that night, but then he returned to his and his mom's room one time to get his bathing suit. And when he did, he saw that the light was on in the bathroom and assumed his mother was in there. But this wasn't entirely true. The investigators were quick to point out to Jimmy that the locks were computerized on the ship. Whenever he entered or exited the room with his room card, it was recorded. These records reflected that Jimmy had been back to the room several times that night. When he was confronted with this information, he became very nervous and anxious. Then he admitted that he'd been back to the room on more than one occasion. There are no details about what excuse Jimmy had for entering and exiting the room that night. They haven't been released. My guess is that he had plausible excuses, Maybe he came back for his glasses or a towel or other items he might have wanted while hanging out with Craig's sister and her boyfriend. Whether he was telling the truth there or not doesn't really matter because he'd been caught in a lie, and his lies weren't the only clue that there might be something sinister going on. When investigators searched the cabin, they found several used cups, and the one that had belonged to Tammy was tested for drugs. It came back positive for Rohypnol. Many of you know this as the date rape drug. It can incapacitate a victim within 15 minutes. And if you take it, it puts you into a coma-like state. 
If you've ever experienced rohypnol or been roofied, I'm pretty sure that some of you listeners have, because it happens much more frequently than most people realize. The drug can erase your memories, or more accurately, it seems to stop you from being able to store your memories. It puts you unconscious. Grandma Bonnie believes that she was given rohypnol that night as well. She can't explain why she can't remember anything after she drank that glass of water. It certainly wasn't because of alcohol. There wasn't enough evidence to hold any of the suspects, and none of them had any past history of wrongdoing. But investigators found it strange that the group was not very helpful when it came to finding Tammy. They had very little to say, and no explanation as to what could have happened to her. They weren't panicked, or they didn't really even seem upset. It certainly wasn't typical behavior for someone who lost a close friend and family member. Most people would do whatever they could to help aid the investigation, but all this group seemed to want to do was go home. When Jimmy finally returned home without his mother to their apartment, he noticed that the back window was open and there were several things missing. He had been robbed. According to a police report, a computer that had been a gift from Craig some jewelry and credit cards were taken. Investigators were suspicious of Craig Morgan. He was the only person who had a sour history with Tammy in the recent past, and that whole cruise scenario rubbed them the wrong way. They searched his home, and inside they found a pendant that he had bought for Tammy. They also found handwritten notes about Rohypnol. Rohypnol is not something you can get over the counter in the United States but do you know where you can get it over the counter? In Mexico. Craig told investigators that his sister Rebecca had been having trouble sleeping, and so he was just trying to help her find a sleep aid. It was only research to help her. As for the jewelry, well, Tammy gave it back to him months earlier. Investigators from Toledo believe that Craig, Rebecca, Robbie, Jimmy, and Deb know more than they're telling authorities. Detective Jay Gast is a seasoned detective who has worked on several high-profile cases, including the conviction of two brothers, Anthony and Nathaniel Cook, for a series of rapes and murders in the 1980s. He doesn't call the group persons of interest. He calls them suspects. When asked if there was anyone else on the cruise who was a person of interest, his response was, nobody else. All roads lead to Rome, so to speak. He has no doubt that Tammy Grogan was pushed overboard to her death. The thought is that, yes, she was drinking on the last night of her life, but even so, there was no accident that happened that night. He went on to say that the suspects weren't acting like people who are innocent, and he was particularly frustrated by the lack of cooperation from Craig Morgan. Craig maintained his innocence, but he refused to talk to police. Refusing to talk or refusing to help solve a case is usually done when a person is guilty. Detective Gast also believes that the motive in the case is clear. Tammy wouldn't let Jimmy hang out with Craig anymore. Therefore, Tammy stood in the way. While there is a small part of me that believes that the entire group could be innocent of Tammy's death, if I had to choose, I'd agree with the investigators because they know more about this case than we do. It seems as though they're missing just a small piece of the puzzle. They've asked the group to come forward with any more information they might have about Tammy's death, but everyone on that cruise is keeping quiet. If there was foul play, I hope that Jimmy wasn't involved, because if he was, I'm sure he carries guilt. 
He was only 14. At that age, teenagers are so impressionable. Who knows what kind of pressure he was being put under and what kind of manipulation he was exposed to. With age and maturity, his feelings may change, and maybe one day he'll come forward with a different story. According to the detectives, when they went to a judge, she told them that they were just short of reaching probable cause. They needed, and still need, someone to come forward with more information. When Jimmy moved home, he moved in with his grandparents on his father's side. Like I mentioned earlier, he was a great student. He set his sights on graduating early and joined the military, which he did. His grandfather would comment on Jimmy's attitude after his mother's death, and what he said is strange. He said that Jimmy didn't seem to have an emotional response to his mother's death. He didn't seem to miss his mother, and in his grandfather's opinion, Jimmy seemed like he handled it a little too well. I found this to be surprising. Jimmy could have felt nothing, or he could have grieved in private. But for a grandfather to openly say this about his grandson leads me to believe that Jimmy probably felt the suspicion from his grandparents. Perhaps this is why he couldn't wait to get into the military and move out of his grandparents' house. When his grandfather signed him up, and sent him off to boot camp. That was the very last time they'd see Jimmy. He disappeared during the first break from basic training. But days later he returned and received a dishonorable discharge. He still never returned home. Searches by investigative journalists in Ohio found out that Jimmy was living in Texas. The address was a home that belonged to Craig's stepfather and mother as recently as 2016. Jimmy's voter registration listed the address as his home. Property records also tied Craig and Rebecca to the home. The journalists from Ohio asked the investigative team of their sister station in San Antonio to make a trip to the house. When they went there to pay the owners a visit, they identified Craig and Rebecca's mother, but she declined to comment on the case. The journalists said it was obvious that they were being watched from a window by a male figure who disappeared as they approached the door. Aunt Deb was also tracked down in an attempt to get an interview. She was living in Colorado and had changed her name to Deborah Green. Of course, this name change could be as simple as getting married to someone. During a phone call, she refused to discuss the case, telling reporters she didn't want to be involved anymore. When she was asked if she was still in touch with the passengers who took that fateful cruise with Tammy, she replied, of course. Robbie Pantoya, who was the ex-boyfriend of Rebecca, was tracked to Las Vegas. He has a YouTube channel devoted to reading Bible verses, but despite his public profile, he also didn't return a phone call to the investigators. If Tammy was thrown overboard, can you imagine her fear? It would have been the middle of the night, out in the middle of the ocean. A part of me hopes that she was unconscious and didn't have to experience any fear at all. Most of you know I like to cover lesser-known cases, but the difficult part about these cases is there's just not a lot of information. Unfortunately, there just isn't much out there about this one. It's been 17 years, and the case is cold. Tammy's mother, Bonnie, died in 2012. She was the most forthcoming about what happened that night and the one who pushed hardest for Tammy's disappearance to be explained. She died without answers. Detectives are still hoping that someone will come forward with more information. 
Shoot, I'd love to talk with any of the people in the room that night to get their side of the story, because the way the articles I found on the case were written, it makes the group look guilty. I'd like to know where the Rohypnol was purchased, and who used it that night, for starters. Rebecca was the one who supposedly needed it. Did she use it that night, too? Was it a prescription, or did they buy it in Mexico? And what was Jimmy doing, coming and going from the room that night? Why did he lie? I need answers. <laughs> I'll post pictures that go with this case on Instagram and Facebook. Links to those, as well as links to sponsor the podcast, are in the show description. Thank you for joining me on this case. I hope you liked it, and I thank you all so much for promoting and sharing this podcast. There are links in the show notes if you'd like to support the podcast as well. I have a couple of big thank yous this week. A huge thank you to Podwacky via Apple Podcasts in Australia. She says, or he, says, the very, very best voice in podcasting. Sandy imparts every story with enough mystery and intrigue to keep you interested and with the occasional gem of humor. Sometimes you might notice her tongue poking at her cheek. That's true. I do do that. Uh, thank you very much, Podwacky. Also from Dilly by 56 from Canada, who says, regular listener, five stars. I've been listening for a while now. This is one of my favorite podcasts. It's well-researched and interesting. Thank you so much. And thank you to everyone who's reached out recently on social media to comment on the podcast. Your help and the help of supporters and Patreons is what keeps me going. Thank you so much. And to all of you, I wish you fair winds, following seas, and safe travels of all kinds. Take care.